And I got so angry that I woke up one morning and I just said, screw it, I'm gonna start my own company. This is not okay. This is not an okay, I'm telling everybody I'm blind, everybody. This is not uh, something to hide. This cane is something to celebrate. It gives me independence, it makes me mobile. I'm part of a community of people. And that's how I started Blind Girl Designs. I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Clothing has long been recognized as a form of self-expression. People rely on clothes and accessories to establish a sense of personal style or to make a statement. They try to stand out in a crowd. For people with disabilities, not only can fashion be a means for self-expression, but it is also a way to advocate for themselves in an ableist world. In looking for perfect clothing, people with disabilities aren't just seeking clothes that are beautiful, but also fashions that are accessible. Accessible fashions are inclusive of all types of bodies. They prioritize ease of dressing and might include things like seated wares for people in wheelchairs or bright color contrasts for people who are blind or low vision. Today, we discuss disability and fashion. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. And welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio and, of course, here on YouTube as well. This show is available to you in a number of formats. You can catch it on AMI-audio at several times during the week. You can also find the podcast and listen wherever you are. And, of course, if you're like me and you like to watch all kinds of videos on YouTube and while away many hours doing that, this show is now also available to you as a video on YouTube. So you can now not only see, you know, hear what I sound like, but you can also see what I look like. My guest today for the program is Trisha Wechter. Trisha is a fashion designer with about three decades experience in the fashion industry. Trisha is also the creator and founder of Blind Girl Design. She joins me today from Houston, Texas. Trisha, hello and welcome to the program. Hi, yeah, it's great to have you on the program. I am really keen to talk to you about Blind Girl Design and how that all got started. But tell me about how you got your start in the fashion industry. I actually got my start in the fashion industry after I graduated from college with a degree in uh, English literature and theater. I got married and moved to St. Louis and I needed to get a job. And the choice was graduate school which in directing, which would be about a 10-year program. A sales clerk job. <laughs> so I went for the sales clerk job and I worked in an accessory area and I sold kind of fine jewelry in a carriage trade store. I did a great job. Who knew? I, you know, I had only worked in fast food places and factories and stuff through high school and college. And one day they came down and they asked me if I wanted to be an assistant buyer. And I said, I have no idea what that is, but does it pay more than I'm making now? And they said, yes. And I said, okay. So then, you know, it was just learning. Uh, the business through people that were in the business and working my way up and studying the business, studying product, just really refining my skills and, and learning from whoever I thought was really brilliant in my field. So that's how I actually, I, I totally fell into retail, completely like fell into it, but it's a perfect match because costuming is a really big part of the theater, building sets, costuming, sewing, creating. My whole life was creative, so um, just a wonderful natural fit. 
I'm assuming that a lot of your job in the fashion world as a buyer would have involved the use of your vision. How much of the job is about your vision and how much do you actually rely on senses other than vision to be able to do, you know, do the kind of work that you were mm -hmm. doing? Vision is, it's the actual position that I held was called the eye. I was the eye for companies, which is the person who's at the top visually who is uh, making choices uh, about the apparel for the company or what the brand looks like. So it's very heavily visual. But what I would teach trainees when they came in was to build a library in their brains of fabrics, colors, and product that they had seen because you so much rely on your knowledge of the industry to make good choices. So it's very visual. The other thing is, interestingly, if you go to Premier Vision in Paris, for instance, it's a fabric show and everyone stands and closes their eyes and touches fabric. No one looks at the fabric. They only touch the fabric with their hands. And so hand feel is critical importance in the fashion world. Really, really critical. So interestingly, there's quite a lot of it discovered since launching Blango Designs. There's just an enormous amount of stuff that you can do without your eyes. So you were feeling the fabric, so that was a part of your role, but a lot of it was being the eye or using your vision to do your job. And then you get the diagnosis of retinitis pigmentosa. How did that affect your ability to do your job? So I got the diagnosis uh, around the turn of the century. And at that time, it really only affected, it affected very little, it affected my ability to drive at night. and. Truthfully, I probably lost being able to distinguish the color dark green from black around that time. For a really long time, I was able to talk to my team and talk about color. I can distinguish that there are different tones, right? But if you're in design, you're going to talk about if a color flares red or uh, you're, you get very, very technical about it. So I would just direct the conversation towards people who I knew had really great color eyes and who uh, and kind of see how the group agreed. And then you would match those tones with other tones so you could make outfits. So I really, um, for many years, did a workaround. In my office, I had incredibly bright lights, like an airplane hanger. And my office uh, was completely white, all white desk, all white tables, light colored walls. So as my uh, vision continued to decrease and I needed to use a white cane uh, to go into theaters and any place was a transition from light to dark. I just kept trying to accommodate, you know, my decreasing vision until I couldn't anymore. When I crossed that level, I had a big loss of vision from a 20% visual field to a 17, to a 15, to an 11 over a two year period, which um, pretty much ended my ability to do that role on a corporate level. You've been working in that role for many years now. You were well established. Were your colleagues willing to support you even when it became evident that you had a disability or were people really discouraged and not very encouraging of you to continue in that role thinking that your vision loss was going to get in the way? No, um, really the uh, several people that I worked for knew that I had RP my bosses knew that I had RP and uh, they were encouraging in terms of just because I was so talented and did such a great job, 
and was able to utilize the teams around me. What, what actually happened was a really interesting thing in that my company got bought out by another company. And in the, at exactly that time, we had bought what we thought was our second house in Houston, Texas, because we lived outside of New York City. And then I was supposed to take a month off and then go back to New York. The funding dropped for that company. Simultaneously, I came to Houston and I realized I couldn't see anything because I was so used to being in my house in New York, getting on the bus. So much of this is visual memory. That were, for me, I, to get on a plane and fly to Hong Kong, totally visual memory. I was, that was just stuff I did all the time. But to come to a brand new place where I didn't have any visual memory, where everybody drives cars, um, it really cemented the fact that I had you know, gone past this barrier in terms of vision loss. Tell me a little bit about Blind Girl Designs. What is the concept behind it? And at what point did you decide to start your own brand? Was it when you moved to Houston? So when I moved to Houston, I still, you know, was kind of in denial about my vision and, uh, you know, applied for jobs. But, you know, they require sight. So that pretty much put me out of the running. But a friend of mine has a factory here and I helped him work in his factory. And um, that was really fun. And I liked that as I was trying to figure out what I would do. Um, except for one time, we had to go see an account. And I told him that in order to see this account and be on their factory floor, I had to use my white cane. And he did not want me to use my white cane. And so I know it's, uh, so I went with him. And I put my hand on his back when we walked on the factory floor. And then I later told him that I couldn't work with him anymore. We're still friends. And I got so angry that I woke up one morning and I just said, screw it. I'm going to start my own company. This is not okay. This is not an okay. I'm telling everybody I'm blind. This is not something to hide. This cane is something to celebrate. It gives me independence. It makes me mobile. I'm part of a community of people, and that's how I started Blind Girl Designs. So you really made a conscientious decision to center your blindness in the company's name, its logo, to really say, I'm not going to hide my disability. I have nothing to be ashamed of. But when you think about the actual clothing that Blind Girl Design uh, puts out, in what ways is your clothing inclusive of people who are visually impaired? Interestingly, when you were talking about accessibility earlier, I made a really conscious choice not to use any buttons and zippers in clothing. That's just my own choice. I have a special needs son who has low tone, who um, has always, who doesn't actually have buttons and zippers on any of his clothes. And for me, I would uh, miss button because I couldn't see it. And so that, when I first started and I made dresses and cardigans, I made them so that they would be an open cardigan, a pull over the headdress, just simple, that would be very simple for most people to wear. And then I started doing uh, graphic t-shirts and hoodies and sweatshirts. And all of the designs on that product are made of white canes. So it really is an external signal, our visual impairment, but not in a really like, you know, not in a, in a heavy way, in a very light and airy way, you know, in a way to engage people and get conversations going around visual impairment. 
And have you had a lot of interesting conversations with people if they see you out and about in a graphic tee with a couple of white canes on that tee? Does that get people talking? Yes. And it also, then of course I have a white cane with me. They perceive me to be more approachable. A lot of, you know, they're actually willing to talk or children always ask, what is that mommy? And the mommies will go, shh. And they're like, oh yeah, it's a white cane. Do you want to touch it? It helps me see, you know, and then they engage. I like to engage about this topic as much as I can for people to understand blindness because it's confusing and there's just always room for everyone to learn and feel like they can not feel uncomfortable around somebody with a disability. Yeah, and I like what you said about children. I've had that interaction as well, where I've been walking down the street with my white cane and uh, exactly what you said, you know, a mother and a child, mommy, what's going on? And the mom will try to shush the child. But I think there's a right. really great opportunity, especially with young kids, to get that conversation started about uh, blindness and uh, that it's not really something to be afraid of or to be nervous about. It's just, a, right. you know, it's just a transition that people make in their lives. So, you know, one of the ways in which I really struggle with clothing, and I think this is an issue for my husband as well, is just in reading the care instructions, which are inevitably in really small type. Trisha, how do you deal with that when you interact with customers and they have questions about how to look after their clothing? Yes. No, actually what we do is auditory. When I, whenever we go to conventions or festivals, I actually tell people, how to wash, you know, wash, just wash it on delicate, wash the t-shirts on delicate inside out, hang them to dry. And pretty much that's the same, you know, a, a hoodie, which is heavier, I would say, turn it inside out, wash it on delicate, and you can put it in the dryer because it's such a heavy material. But I verbally tell them, and many, many customers go to my website, pick stuff out, and then call me because we have, you know, just a tap right on the very front page of my website. Uh, for people to call me because they have a lot of questions and then I'll tell them about the care. Generally, there's an interaction about the care because of, it's difficult for me, all, I mean, of course, to, to be able to understand care. And I, even when I was pretty sighted, I really didn't understand what all the symbols meant anyway. There's like 13 symbols on there, you know, with irons and <laughs> stop signs and stuff. So I just verbally tell people, yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know about you, but I think everybody has had one horror story that, uh, that, that, cashmere sweater you really liked and you yes. dropped in the washer and it shrank to the size <laughs> of it fit at all. Exactly. Uh, you know, I've been burnt before. So I take the conversation about caring for your clothes really seriously. I am intrigued to get an idea of what some of your designs actually look like. Now, remember, this is in part audio as well. So I'm wondering if you'd be open to describing some of your clothing so we can get a sense of some of the designs that you have on offer. So I'll show you the very first design that we did which we did it last November. I'm going to show for people who can see visual, they can see this uh, for us. That, um, this is a snowflake. And the snowflake is made by crossing four white rollerball canes. They have red at the bottom and then a white rollerball and a black handle with a strap. And they're, they cross like that into an X. And then off of each cane are Vs pointing out, which make it look like a big gigantic snowflake and around the snowflake made of canes are tiny little light blue snowflakes about probably 60 little snowflakes just sprinkled all around the big snowflake and it's um it's, it was our it was our first design that we made and it's the probably the best selling design that we've had so far people really love it 
because the canes are really, it's really obvious that these are white canes. You would not mistake this for anything else. We're very, very particular to make sure, you know, that the cane thing, the canes we represent look like the actual canes that we use. That, that makes a lot of sense because sometimes, you know, people will use pink canes or purple canes, but really... Right, which is rare. Which is right? rare, but, you know, really the red, white, and black cane is the, is the cane that gets the message across. Do you have some other designs exactly. you could show us? Yes, I have um, a Christmas tree. The Christmas tree, so what, ended, when the, what ends up happening, if you take the bottom and turn the joint to the right and then angle it like a half of a triangle, at the very top where there should be a star is a roller ball. So this is mirrored so that it's a tri it forms a triangle with two roller balls on the top. And the base of the tree is the two black handles from each cane. Inside the tree are green squigglies that go all throughout that triangle, which forms the tree. And then on top of that are about eight white round ornaments, which represent the rollerball and the cane. And each ornament has a different color in it and a different squiggle and zigzag. So it's, again, a very fun, you know, lightweight, you know, just airy conversation about this T-shirt and how this, this tree was made. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's interesting. You know, I see a, you know, I have a cane and I see a cane. You have a cane and you see a, a Christmas tree. Uh, are all... <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about it's some true. of your other designs? Uh, give us a little bit more of a sneak preview. Okay, so we have, um, this one is called, this design that I'm holding up is on black and it is called Star Explosion. And this one is made by uh, crossing, this looks like a spoke of white canes. So to understand that everything is crossing in the middle. So there are about eight rollerball canes in this spoke crossing at the middle. And then in between those are smaller white graphite canes. So there's a total of 16 canes in the spoke of this print, which is a big chest print. Starting at the center where all the, the uh, canes cross, blue little baby stars start exploding out of the center of the canes and they become light blue stars and they explode out to becoming white stars. So it looks like a gigantic firework in the sky. That's amazing. You know, and you it's have, great. Yeah, no, it's great. You have so much like great stuff here and I am sort of, I'm faced with the, the problem that every shopper faces, which is I want to have it all. Um, but of course you can't have it all. Um, I, which brings me to my next question. I, I don't know how you go about this, but I really wonder about how one selects clothes, clothes for themselves if one is visually impaired. At, I'm sure at one point in your life, you could see what was on display and pick the things you thought would look nice on you. But how has your selection criteria evolved um, now that you have reduced vision? Bearing in mind that unlike me, you are actually a designer. My selection criteria has not, personally, has not really evolved because in my industry, because I traveled so much and actually I'm traveling quite a bit now that I've launched Blind Girl Designs, we would wear, we would wear, you know, black yoga pants, black shoes, black t-shirt, black jacket, and black backpack. And because uh, black doesn't reflect light. So oh, you always look neat and tidy. And it's really easy to mix it, you know, throw on a gray t-shirt or a pink t-shirt with that ensemble and, and dress the whole thing up. For me, because of my nature, because I'm so used to seeing so much fashion, so much trends, so much images be around the world that designers, a lot of designers tend to make themselves a blank palette. 
you'll see some designers walk on stage at the end of their shows and they have on a pair of jeans and a white t-shirt. It's really not uncommon because we, we're just always looking for the next new color, the next new shape, the next new idea. So we're not really decorating ourselves. So, so in my case, that really hasn't changed. And do you think that there's a difference between fashion and style? Mm-hmm. I think there's a huge difference. I have a personal style, which I just described to you. And fashion or a fashion trend, which is really what I did, was to try to figure out what the big fashion trends would be in the next year is something that you would have in your closet maybe for a season and you'd wear it and then maybe you wouldn't wear it again. It, fashion is trendy. And then, and I tend to be much more, you know, uh, have a personal style, which I really encourage people to really work on their personal style because it can include fashion if that's your, you know, if that's what you prefer, or it can be classic. It can be whatever you want it can be. Yeah, I find that now that I'm getting older, I prefer to have a few pieces in my wardrobe and really sort of develop that personal style. And rather than, you know, in my 20s, I had tons of clothes um, and a lot of it was fast fast fashion and I would buy things, wear them for the summer and then chuck things. And I started to think about just A, how wasteful it was and B, how much money I was spending. And I really sort of started to think more about having a personal sense of style. So, you know, in terms of your style, um, and I think this is a question that we have a lot of YouTube videos about this, but I'll ask you too, why not? Uh, what are some of the things that you think are must have for, for women to have in their wardrobe? Okay. So the must-haves, I'm going to say, this is going to be really unusual, but this is critical. You must have a good bra because in order for all the clothes to fit properly, you should feel comfortable in, in, uh, in a really good bra as a foundation. And then I would just go back to what I just said about black. I feel like if you're going to, you can either have a base color closet that's either navy blue or black. I tend to go towards black because there's just so many tones of navy blue, it's very difficult to match. It's much easier to match black. So I think you have to have um, a pair of black pants, a pair of black shoes, a black handbag, a black tank top or tee, whichever you prefer, and a black jacket. If you take all those clothes and put them on at one time, you can go anywhere. If you take the top off and put a pink top on, you can go anywhere. If you take the black pants off and put a jean, pair of jeans in there, super cute. If you take the jacket off and you just have the tank on, darling. If you have those essential in one color, and I'm going to say go on the black side, build your wardrobe towards the black, because most designers actually do. And then you can just insert the color or the texture or the scarf or all of the accessory jewelry, bangles, earrings, whatever you want on top of that. So think of it, you know, kind of as a building block. Black is three chic, as they say. Yes, uh, black is always <laughs> chic. If you go to London, if you go to Milano, if you go anywhere in the world, except for Paris, which tends to go a little more brown and gray. Yes. Um, and you go to New York City, everybody wears black all the time. No, for sure. So uh, it's a Totally good. Well, in, in just in, you know, in the minute or so that we have left, you've described some of uh, the origins of blind girl design, and you've shown us some of your wonderful designs as well. But just you know, in about thirty seconds or so, what do you hope the future of the brand will be? Where do you want to take it next? You know, the more that we have worked within our community, the more I see a real need for 
being able uh, to label our clothes so that people can identify them independently. And there's not any current system that's universal for that. And for me, as we grow our company, I'd like to be able to um, develop some of my product internationally where we can use feature called embossing, where they can emboss a label or emboss the back of a garment with raised letters for braille to be able to identify, for people to identify their clothing. That Once I can find that, it would be in every piece of clothing that I have. Because you know what? I am of the inside out and backward t-shirt club, you know? So I would prefer to have embossing on everything I have so that automatically when I run and grab that shirt, I actually put it on inside, you know, right and frontwards. Right, I think we've all done that. <laughs> <laughs> Trisha, uh, how can we look at some of your designs if we want to you know, check out Blind Girl Designs? How do we do that? Oh, and most importantly, do you ship to Canada? We do ship to Canada, and uh, we are at blindgirldesigns.com, www.blindgirldesigns.com, B-L-I-N-D-G-I-R-L-D-E-S-I-G-N-S.com. And yes, and you can go uh, look at our website. You can give us a call and we, if you can't actually look uh, you can also give us a call and we can chat and walk you through it we have descriptions item descriptions on everything we'd love to hear from you trisha thank you so much for speaking to me today it was a pleasure getting to see some of your amazing designs and to hear about blind girl design thank you so much it was lovely meeting with you today too Trisha Wechter is the founder of Blind Girl Design. She joined us today from Houston, Texas. Our website is blindgirldesign.com. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the program. Our videographers were Ted Cooper and Matt McGurk. Our technical producer is Marco Flolo, and Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio. On behalf of the crew, I've been your host, Joetha Gupta. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.